Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mott. Welcome in to College Soccer Nation. My name is Matt Mott, one of the co-hosts of the show. We've got our Christmas special on tap tonight, where it's something we're, we're super excited about. Let's bring in uh, Chris Petroselli, the other co-host. Chris, how are you tonight? I'm good, Matt. Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas. And... Uh, We've got a really good guest tonight, Josie, Dr. Josie Nicholson, our sports psychologist here at Ole Miss, who is, uh, who is wonderful. Looking forward to talking to her, and I know you have some very good questions for her, so we'll get to her a little bit later. I know that uh, she works closely with, with you and your program, so I'm interested to hear her, her psychoanalysis of, of you, uh, psychoanalysis, I guess. Is it oh, crazy? Yeah, of yeah. you, right? And and um, we're going to find out, you know, what's inside your head. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it should be very, very brief, very brief interview. Then, if that's what we're doing. Uh, and then the Power Five, the Power Five is uh, really special. Ooh. We're bringing on uh, Eve Petroselli and Jen Mott to uh, give us the five things that uh, you and I annoy them the most about as uh, spouses. So. That yeah. should be all, all kinds of fun. Can't wait. It should, Can't in wait. fact, uh, <laughs> as we came up, as I came up here uh, to record this, I I found Eve's list on the printer. Ooh, um, oh, printed now, off. Nice. The list started at a lot more than five, I can tell you that. So. <laughs> Let's see. It'll be interesting to see how it works out. <laughs> see which five she goes with, huh? Yeah. Uh, so not a lot going on in the soccer world. Obviously, we have some some interesting things that we'll get on with Brian here in a bit. But I did want to touch on uh, probably the biggest sporting news of the week, and that's the college uh, football playoff. And I have a way to kind of compare it to college soccer in, in a kind of a roundabout way that I thought would be good, interesting topic. But you saw the college football playoff was announced uh, yesterday, right, I did. Chris? I did, yeah. And once again, you have Alabama and uh, and Clemson and Ohio State and Notre Dame, right, as the four yeah. four contenders. And I think that a lot of us that are in college sports, um, you know, and follow it really closely, are getting, you know, I don't want to say frustrated, but it just seems like it's the same teams it's old. over and over yeah. and over again. It's yeah, old. it's getting a little old. Like you kind of yeah. like to see it. You know, last year was kind of fun with LSU in it, but you don't. Right. That's more, um, you know, not what it's been typically. Yeah, that's I saw. Yeah. yeah, I saw somewhere where um, every odd year, or every even year, Alabama has been the number one seed since they've started this. So, right, it's just crazy. But um, I did want to talk about this and correlate it a little bit to soccer. So. Back in the beginning of soccer, again, I think we we were trailblazers, right? We're trailblazers. We set this up for college football. No, but North Carolina was the team, right? Won um, every year. I know. I think we all know they've won twenty one national championships, and they were the team. And and you know, UConn was there that would compete against them, and you know, a couple other teams that were around until finally uh, a little team by the name of Notre Dame came knocking on the door. And then it became, for a big stretch there, it became North Carolina and Notre Dame, similar to how it is with Alabama and Clemson right now. 
And so obviously you were a, a big part of that Notre Dame piece as you were the coach. But what was that like trying to catch Anson is the question. Because I think all of these coaches are trying to catch are yeah. trying to catch uh, uh, Saban, right? Saban, so what was you know, that? and, and um, I did read something from Steve Spurrier recently who said, you know, it's it's almost like it's it's unfair because, you know, in the NFL, if you finish last, you get the first draft choice. Yeah. In college football, if you finish first – you get the best players, you know, because yeah. you're, you're able to go out and recruit the best players. So, yeah. So, you know, going back on that, on uh, that period, um, when, when we beat North Carolina in the semifinal in 1995 um, and, and went on to win the national championship, first of all, after we beat them, our friend Alan Kirkup, who was on uh, last week um, in, in the press conference for his game said, I just want to want to thank Notre Dame because they've given everybody else hope because no one had hope at that point. They had right. been nine years in a row. Carolina won nine years in a row. And, um, and I think that, you know, that started to give people a chance that maybe you could beat them. Um, to this day, they're still fantastic, right? I mean, they're still a, a wonderful program and, and they still continue to win. But um, so, you know, we we're, were able to, to win that year. And, and then the next year they came back and, you know, beat us in, in the final, we saw him, uh, saw him again, you know, the following year. And, you know, at that point there were two, but shortly after that, you know, there were, you know, uh, Santa Clara and Portland kind of joined and, and were teams that could win, you know, were capable of winning a national championship. And then as time goes on, you know, now, you know, USC has, has jumped in and won a couple. UCLA has been there, obviously, at the moment. Stanford, um, Florida State now over a number of years. Uh, Penn State has been in there and and, and won, right? So um, I think the difference right now, let's say, between women's soccer and, and college football is in college football, when the season started, Alabama was number one, Clemson was number two, uh, State was number three. When the season ended, same thing. Yeah. So there were really only three teams had a chance to win, win a national championship, and there may only be two. You, you might argue that there could only be two, but – you know, certainly let's let we could expand it to three. Um, we're beyond that now in, in, in our sport. Uh, you know, when when you go into a season, there may not be a dozen teams, uh, but there, you know, on, on a given year, there could be six, seven, eight that, that have a chance to to win a national championship. So, you know, I think that parity um, makes it a little bit more exciting um, and, and obviously gives other people a chance and other people hope and, and um, I think going into a season, there's probably, you know, 15 or 20 teams that think they can win it, right? But in reality, yeah. there may only be seven or eight. And um, I, I think that's where, you know, sort of the difference is. And I, I think you're right. Maybe we are light years ahead of them, right? Uh, you know, as far as the parity part of it, um, you know, there's, there are more teams now that that have a chance to win. But why is that? Why Why have we been able to add what what are those teams done to I don't want to say catch North Carolina because they were there last year they'll probably be there again this year like they're they haven't gone anywhere right it's just maybe made it a little harder for them but there has been more teams come into the fold right like you mentioned UCLA USC um, so on and so forth so so what what is what has changed well there's a couple of things that changed Uh, first of all there's a lot more kids playing now than there were in those days. So there were years, I remember those years in, in, in recruiting and, and you'd look at the country and you'd go, okay, there's three players that I got to get. Right. 
Um, and if I didn't get them, you know, then Carolina got them. Or if Carolina got two, I got one, you know, that kind of thing. But there was really like, there was three players, right? Um, now there's so many more players. There's, you know, so many kids that, that can make a difference. And, and the expansion into foreign recruiting, you know, uh, certainly makes makes that bigger. Second, you got to remember that in those, you know, in those days. And when I when I first went to, to Notre Dame in 1989, I guess, there were 80 teams playing college soccer. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the talent was really centered around, you know, a couple of teams. Now with 330 some, you know, the talent is spread out and, and the teams that added, you know, it, it was a lot easier to go in into Southern California and pick players off at that time when UCLA and, and USC were in infancy, you know, just sort of starting their, their programs um, and didn't have tradition and, and, and things like that they have now. So, you know, you, ha- you started going into these States that, you know, the, the big state schools didn't, didn't have teams. So we could go to, we went to a place like Minnesota, Michigan, places like that, where we could pick players off because, you know, the, the big, big state bully in, in, uh, in that state, in that particular state, they weren't playing or, or at least, at least weren't established yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that obviously makes a big difference when you bring in the SEC and, and the big 12 and, you know, in the big 10 and, and things like that, all of a sudden this thing changes and it's a lot harder to recruit against those people. Yeah. Makes total sense. Um, I, I like it. It's interesting. I, I do. I think we're all getting sick of the Alabama Clemson, Ohio state, you know, then I, as, as I was saying to you before off air, like it's either Notre Dame or, or Oklahoma. I feel like every year those are, those are who are in and you've had LSU. Obviously you've had uh, Auburn, you've had Oregon a little bit, but it seems to be the same ones over and over. And, and it's, it's got to be recruiting, right? They're getting all the best players. Best players want to go there because they get a chance to win the national championship. Makes sense. So anyway, yeah, and, and hopefully they, they have a great mix, right? I mean, great, yeah. uh, great coaches, you know, great schools, great facilities. I mean, they, they really have a, a great mix. Yeah. All right, good. Are we ready for the uh, the big deal, Chris? We, we are ready deal? for the big deal with Brian Lee. All right, Brian, welcome to the show. How are you on this fine uh, December twenty first Monday evening? Well, I'm doing great. You know, thanks to our good friend, Karen Hoppe. We're now all used to like a dead period over uh, Christmas. It's actually a time off over the holidays, even though we've had a dead period for a long time now. So um, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the family time It's something I'm used to. But very interesting discussion you guys just had. Thank you. Um, yes, no, we should always give a shout out to, to Coach Hoppe. She spearheaded the dead period for many, many years. I heard about it day in and day out for years and years. And <laughs> she's going to kill me for saying that. But no, I'm, uh, we are all very thankful we have Absolutely. that dead period. Well, Absolutely. we're thankful. I don't know if our families are thankful that we're around more. Well, maybe we could ask the, the wives a little later about that. But we what are. Find um, out. What we, find yeah, out. exactly. Exactly. All right, Brian, a couple topics for you. Chris, go ahead, hit them. Well, let's so, uh, real quick before we get yeah, into this. Yeah. Let me ask this question. Yes. So, Chris, you yeah. lived. Let's say you're uh, Dabo Sweeney back in the day. Yeah. You're trying to unseat yeah. Nick Saban, who's Anson yes. at the time, yes. or yeah. your uh, what's the guy's name at Ohio State Day? Yeah, at Ohio State. At any point, did you feel like uh, the conference or the country just rewrote the rules so that you could play in the College Cup or the Final Four? <laughs> I never felt like that happened. Uh, I never felt like that happened. And, you know, Ohio State now has the uh, the league is 
not only did they rewrite it so they could play in the championship, but now they've rewritten their quarantine rules so their players can play in, in the college football playoff. It's really uh, interesting. But yeah, let, me say this. Is, yeah. let me say this, though. Oh, seriously, 17 days still? Yeah. When some leagues are saying seven days, they've decided 17 days. Where, where does 17 come from? Well, they were 21. They, they I know, but that's what I'm saying. Would so you? they're at 21, and everybody else was at 14. Now they went to 17? Like, it's, yeah. come on already. They, well, 17 is probably the number of days it was until the game where they would have everybody clear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. what it was. Get them an extra week of training. Yeah, yeah good yeah. point. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, uh, gotcha. Brian, um, so the legislation came out about uh, the waiver for uh, players uh, who are drafted. Um, in in the NWSL, you want to uh, explain that a little bit? Well, in 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 brief, now our kids can apply for the draft, be drafted, stay eligible for the spring, and just as a public service announcement, so my phone can stop ringing and my email can stop popping on it. They cannot also play in the fall if they don't like where they're drafted or the number they're drafted at or any contract they happen to get offered, things like that. So um, it, it's really good news. It's not, hey, we can have our cake and eat it too and, you know, then have an extra ice cream after. So the basics of it are you can get drafted, you can, but still play in the spring with your college. You just can't play next fall, that extra season that everybody got in 2021. So it, it, it does create, you know, some interesting situations. Um, first of all, it's great for those kids, especially, you know, the kids who are playing for teams that are going to, you know, compete in the national tournament that they get another opportunity to do that. But I think Roddy last, last week with Roddy, um, he mentioned, um, you know, how is this going to affect uh, this draft? Are there going to be more kids in this draft or less kids in this draft? Because remember, they still do have that extra year of eligibility. Right. And, and, and I think kids are going to have to look at sort of where am I going to fall in this draft, maybe compared to next year's draft. Oh, it, it's, it's super interesting. If a kid's goal is, Hey, how high can I get drafted drafted? And I get to live the rest of my life saying I was a first round pick, second round pick, whatever it is. Certainly this is the year to put your name in and just go for it because next year's draft is going to be a good bit deeper. Um, you know, but you, and then you, you transpose that with maybe we got a kid who's got a chance to get a graduate degree or get a serious leg up on it by staying that extra fall. It's a super interesting time for the, for yeah. these kids. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out for sure. And, and even how the pro teams handle it, you know, it'll be interesting for them as, as well. Well, it's tough enough for those guys to draft. And, you know, I don't think the numerical that analytics on the draft don't say, hey, if you're pick number seven, you're going to do this as a pro. And it just got a whole lot more difficult for mm -hmm. the NWSL teams. For sure. For sure. Uh, Matt, you wanted to talk about a subject yeah. that uh, I was right on. You were right, Chris. I have to admit, well, so far, the rumor is you are right. <laughs> um, we've heard the rumors, unfortunately, for those of us that played in the fall, that we are not going to get any extra days back from the NCAA. I think the, the, the request was in for 
for 25 days. And I think then there was a 14 day, so on and so forth. But the bottom line is that it doesn't look like we're getting any extra days for the spring. Those of us that played in the fall or those of us that trained in the fall, even you would have gotten extra days too, as well, Chris. So Brian, how does that impact you think on, first of all, the, the 14, there's four teams that are in the tournament right now, right. And, in um, TCU and Florida State and Vanderbilt in, in South Alabama, their preparation, knowing that they just got shrunk into 40-something days, probably something 45 days, uh, as opposed to 60 days to prepare for the NCAA tournament. What, what do you think the fallout of that is going to be? Well, I think there's a couple of things that play. You know, for me, there's probably enough time for them to prep for the NCAA tournament since they clearly know what they're trying to get out of the spring season. But the bigger picture for me is what does it do for these teams that are trying to get in one of these 17, 18, whatever it ends up being at large bids? Now you've shrunk the amount of time and outside competition they can have in the spring and the teams they choose to play. It puts a huge uh, impetus on quality of opponent. But now they've also got to accept we're going to train like preseason. Then we might schedule a game against someone who's just played six games. And it's going to mean everything to us to win that game. But they're, they're primed through the six games and we all know you know we'd love to be right with the team we pick and we'd love to every fall and spring to know who our best 11 players are but we don't really know until the game start so even for those teams who played in the fall they don't know that for the spring so i think it really puts the texas a&m's the oklahoma states the you know clemson's behind the eight ball you know those bubbly type teams south carolina what are they going to do with their schedule Who, who can they play and what's their ability to get results against teams that are a little more played in, in the spring. Should be interesting, right? It it should be really interesting to see. And I think coaches, I think this is going to cause some coaches to scramble because I don't believe that, um, you know, those teams that played, um, I think they all believe they were getting, they were getting these extra days. I Mm -hmm. think they're all convinced that they were getting these extra days. So they probably have made plans, but it's 2020, right? Plans always change this year. And pivot. So, I've heard that word um, pivot a lot. We're going to yeah, have to pivot. change. Yeah, pivot on the fly, right? Yeah. It's crazy. All right. All right, Chris. Go ahead. I, I wasn't a fan of this question, but that's fine. We can talk about it if we want. Well, go ahead, I, I just think, uh, I think, I know, Brian, you're a big Liverpool fan. And uh, I'm just, I'm amazed at Liverpool at the moment. Um, they're so injured. Um, you know, they're, they're, they don't have their best players day in and day out. They really haven't since the season started, but look who's at the top of the table. Look who's playing the best. And, and, and I have, you know, and again, I know you've watched pretty much every game they've, they've played. So the question I have for you in regards to Liverpool is, um, is their success now, you know, recently, uh, a product of their system, of their style, um, of their chemistry, uh, coaching, um, and 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 uh, granted, their talent level is still pretty good, right? Um, but certainly, it's not not what it was, you know, last year. Um, so, why do you think they continue to win, or how, in your mind, do they continue to win? Well, you know, for me, the short answer is Klopp. But it, it's is it Klopp that the talent acquisition? 
you know, his ability to measure players and um, find players who are on the upswing when they get to, to Liverpool, or is it a, his ability to coach and team manage and get the best out of everybody? So for me, it's, it's, if that's an A and a B, it's the B. I mean, look at what they did last week. They played Spurs, and we'd all love to have Harry Kane and Son up front and play on their – I thought Mourinho set them up so perfectly in that game. And Liverpool has rolled out Fabinho, who's a center midfielder by trade, and if anyone saw him play center back a year ago, he certainly wasn't a center back when he had to fill in then. And, you know, Reese Williams making his debut, a 19-year-old – and didn't change the way they played. And Robertson and um, Trent Alexander, those aren't defenders putting wing back for them. They're not covering, you know, Saul and uh, Harry Kane very often for those two center backs. And the ability, the ability to bring in Williams and to get Fabinho to play that well in that game just says everything about Klopp you know, to me and why they're so stable in what they're doing right now. And, you know, if I'm going to set up a team on one game, I probably want Marino coaching, but if I'm going to build a program, it's right now it's Klopp because he's got it all. He's got the ability to, to see players and envision what they can do for him. And then when they get him, when he gets him, uh, at Anfield, he's got the ability to get the very best out of him. And the, the most interesting piece to me isn't how he always hits a home run on the signings because the signings since he got there have been unbelievable. If they spend big money, Van Dyke, Allison, they've hit. But when he's taken a flyer on Salah or uh, Robertson from yeah. Hull City who just been relegated, he's, he's made that work as – as well. Um, but it's, it's about the guys who've gone away. Nobody who they've sold has gone away and become a better player. You know, Coutinho's done okay at Bayern, but not for the price. Once he went through Barcelona and, and went on loan, you, you can't find anybody who leaves Liverpool and becomes a better player. And, and to me, it's to relate it back to college soccer. It's a little like our transfer process. So where do kids transfer to and become better players and who loses kids out of the program and become better players or don't play as well? It's, it's so interesting, the ability to create that environment where individuals are maximizing what they can become is really the genius of Klopp. I mean, we all like to see him press, but Pep presses too, and yeah. you know, everybody with the best players right now presses. So sure. that's the interesting piece to me, and that's that's been great to see. So there's been no uh, no ac- acquisition of a guy like Keppa, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, it's kind of the everyone's got their hits or misses, but it, yes. it's the beauty of it. Um, Don't you it, think it's though, just man after man. Uh, two things. One, I, you you do have to give him credit as much as it pains for me to do it. I mean, you lose Van Dyke early on, and they haven't skipped a beat. It's not. No. I mean, could you not argue he's the best player in the was the best player in the EPL? Certainly yeah. one of the top two or three. Um, yeah. 
And and then I think the, the I think the one interesting and we can get on this another day, but the interesting thing to me about transfers is sometimes they leave programs and they go to other programs and they get to play all the time, so they get better, right? They they become better um, because they're getting to play and they're getting wow. to train with the first team and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. they may have not gotten the opportunity at the school they're at, but when they transfer, they do get the opportunity and they become better. So yeah. it's interesting though. Great point. Well, and the one we're about to see at Liverpool is Salah, right? So Liverpool reinvented him. Right. Kind of a bust at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And right now he's about to hit peak value if he's not even slightly on the decline. But um, Klopp's got plenty of replacements in-house. And you, you, the, the young players coming through, there's the guy they flipped, they loaned out to Blackburn right now, Elliot, I think is his name, Harvey Elliott, 17-year-old, who's being primed to come in and, and replace Salah, but now they're going to go profit from Salah, turn whatever that you know n- number is, and then he'll figure out who's the next Van Dyke or who's the next Allison and bring them in behind it. And now all of a sudden we've got this self-perpetuating program that might keep Liverpool on top of the league for a good decade. No offense to the Chelsea and Man U supporters. That's like you're ahead of ourselves. Ole's throwing his darts here there and Pogba's, you know. Yeah. Anyways, we're moving on. We're moving on with this nonsense. (laughs) Very good. Thank you, Brian. Brian, thank you. We got to get to our guest. I got to tell you, in in however many episodes this has been, 14, 15, 20, 15, I don't know. 15. By far my most enjoyable two minutes right now. That was, <laughs> it was that much was, longer than two minutes. Okay. Yeah, Lord knows. We got to go. Well, that's only because we got to go. Now, that said, I can't wait to hear, uh, hear what Josie's got to say to echo Chris. Holy cow. This whole episode could be some sort of psychoanalysis of Matt. We've got <laughs> Josie coming, and then God bless Jen. Because if we can do any sort of psychoanalysis, if anyone we know, and God bless her, what a wonderful person to spend day by day with her, or sorry, with Matt. Jeez, that's a full-time job. Josie should get two doctorates for that. She can figure out why Jen is with Matt. But and uh, Eve's a whole different conversation. So can't wait for that either. Thanks, Brian. See you, Brian. See you, boys. Yep. Okay, Chris, this is a uh, absolute pleasure for us, certainly for me too, as uh, we get to introduce our, our guests tonight. Um, Josie Nicholson is the, uh, Dr. Nicholson is uh, our sports um, psychologist here at Ole Miss, uh, works um, with our team, works with me personally, um, has done a, just a fantastic job here at Ole Miss, and we are thrilled to actually bring in a professional uh, onto the show for the first time. So Josie, uh, welcome to the College Soccer Nation. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm excited that I'm the first professional. I, I sometimes think of you as a professional, but I, I guess if, you know. I thought you maybe knew a, really well. <laughs> maybe a non-coaching professional. How about that? Got it. Okay, good. Um, so listen, Josie, what we like to do is we always like to start uh, with our guests and have them give their background and, and kind of what um, how they've gotten to this point and how you've gotten here to Ole Miss after, uh, after your time. So go ahead and hit us with your, your background. All right. Well, I was born at, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> although I am actually from Oxford, Mississippi. So never say never about moving back to your hometown, lived around the world to come back and, uh, and be able to work, um, at, uh, where I grew up. So that's awesome. But 
Yeah, so I was a um, soccer player in college. I went to Loyola University in New Orleans, and um, and uh, you know, I, I think I like many sports psychologists. I came to this profession because I really, really could have benefited uh, from having someone in my position when I was playing. So um, I'm excited to be able to give what I didn't have to others. So I was a psychology major. Um, as well as visual arts that really doesn't have anything to do with anything now but um, except that I'm very fortunate that when I walked into um, advising I said you know I, I'm not a very good artist I need to add another major but I don't want something that interferes with my travel schedule and my practice schedule and I said well a lot of people go into liberal arts so let's look at that and you know, looked at different majors and psychology seemed to line up with the schedule the most. And so that's how I ended up as a psychology major. Uh, so that was just, you know, luck of uh, luck of the draw there, I guess. But um, then afterwards, I, I graduated, but I stayed around um, in New Orleans for a long time, just not really um, sure of what I wanted to do. And then I ended up going to graduate school about uh, six, maybe five or six years after I graduated for um, counseling psychology and uh, at the University of Southern Mississippi. And I got my master's degree and started the doctoral program. Um, and then Hurricane Katrina hit. Uh, I was, I had finished all my classes up and I needed to do my internship and my dissertation. And uh, Katrina just kind of messed a whole lot of stuff up. I was still playing soccer um, in New Orleans at the time and ended up going overseas, uh, kind of taking a break from school, taking a break from everything and um, played some soccer over there. And uh, they had a sports psychologist that came in and worked with our team. And just kind of watched what he did and was in awe. And I was like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. So when I came back to the States, I uh, geared everything that I could toward, um, you know, my training being in sports psychology. So I finished up with a doctorate in uh, counseling psychology with an internship and a postdoctoral fellowship in sports psychology and uh, pursued the um, certified um, mental performance consultant uh, certification through the Association for Applied Sports Psychology and um, then landed here at Ole Miss. So that is my career path. It's, um, it's quite a path, you know, and <laughs> with a couple of turns here and there, right? The unexpected turns. But, and um, that's something that I really believe in is, you know, the, the straight path uh, doesn't give a lot of depth you know, sometimes, so. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, you're the perfect person um, to talk about what's going on these days, right? We've got COVID going on. We've got, I keep uh, reading about and hearing about you know, the mental health issues for, for athletes and how tough this has been on, on kids in this age group. And, um, I'm, I'm interested to hear your experiences, you know, over, over the last 10 months or so and, and, you know, the issues that have come up and um, if you feel it's, it's more prevalent now or, or it's just like any, any other time or 
anything like that. So give us a little bit of a sense of sort of what's going on in, in your world right now. Yeah, it, it has, it's been a lot. I, I think, you know, first of all, just as humans, we're not designed to maintain a level of um, stress like this. You know, we're, we're, our bodies are designed to um, see a threat or a challenge, address it, um, you know, dissipate the energy from it and move on. But this sustained kind of, there's nothing we can do. There's not really any fix. Um, there's no way really to address it except wear a mask. And you know, it, it's it's just a, a different type of anxiety and stress. So the other thing is that for athletes, they thrive in kind of preparing because they believe that they know what to expect. I mean, the reality is that we never knew what to expect. We never know, you know, we have a schedule, but there's no um, guarantee when you get that schedule card and we print it that those are the games that are going to be played. However, historically speaking, that's the way it's played out for a very long time. So we have this illusion that we know what's going to be happening and how things are going to unfold. And all of that has been taken away because we don't even know what to expect tomorrow. We could be shut down um, from practice or the schedule completely change. And that's just a really difficult way to live life, um, especially for a population that thrives in planning and preparation and, um, you know, all that. So it's been really hard. The other thing is that for athletes, let's look at the beginning of things. Um, you know, one of the the very common struggles for athletes that I address a lot in my practice is not having identity outside of who they are as an athlete. So their entire self-worth, their entire, you know, I, I'm only as good as the last game I played, you know, and um, that performance-based, um, achievement-based uh, sense of self-worth and identity. So, you know, <laughs> springtime, I kind of thought we knew what to expect and then COVID hits. And I don't think that any of us ever would have said like, hey, sports is going to shut down. I mean, that's kind of like the, the last vestiges of what will be hanging on. It's like, you know, in the apocalypse is we'll still have football. So it's like, wow. And then um, they were sent home or told not to come back because we were actually at spring break. So, you know, our, our athletes just didn't come back. Well, what do they do? Because now it's like they don't have a way to train to the level that they were um, used to. So now they're all anxious about getting out of shape, losing their position. Um, they believe that they're going to like lose skill if they take a break for a week, <laughs> uh, you know? So they're like, I'm going to come back and not know how to, you know, kick a ball. So, you know, and then there's also the lack of um, connection with teammates, that physical and, and being in proximity to one another. Um, that's kind of disconcerting. You know, if you can imagine starting your life, you know, becoming an adult, uh, getting into your own groove, and then you got to move back in with your parents, like that's tough. 
So it, there was just so much going on that attacked the identity and the sense of self and the sense of purpose. And it's like, well, if I can't train, I can't maintain my skills, I can't prove myself on the pitch, who am I? And what am I worth? And then all summer, you know, I mean, some of them were able to come back late in the summer, but they didn't know when that was going to happen. So just a lot. And um, yeah, routine is a big thing. So just the, the mental health toll of not having a routine or um, the, this is a population that their entire lives, they've been, you know, okay, you're going to be here at this, at this time. And this is, you know, what you're going to do. And now none of that's there. So it was really um, anxiety provoking, demoralizing, um, and also just boring. So there was a lot going on. And uh, online school has taken a toll. I mean, you look at Matt's team, that's, that's probably the smartest team in the country, wouldn't you say, Matt? Well, and because of the leadership. <laughs> for sure. Uh, uh, Jess is amazing. But um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you look at, um, at you've got high achievers that are at being asked to perform in the classroom and learn in a way that is totally different, online school is tough. So it, there's, I mean, I could go on and on, sure. but there's yeah. so much. How does, um, so how does that, you know, all of those factors that, that you've mentioned, like, how have you seen it manifest itself with individuals? Honestly, I've seen a lot of um, what we call somatization. So somatization for a population that um, doesn't like to acknowledge that something's wrong, or if there is something wrong, I can definitely handle it. It's no big deal. A lot of times it comes out in the body. So they're a lot more tired. There's a lot, uh, there's more muscle soreness and um, fatigue. Like I'll get um, a text message like, I don't know why, but this week in practice, I have just been really tired mm. and it's hard to, to keep up my intensity in practice. I'm like, well, I probably need a little bit of a break and to acknowledge that right now is hard. Um, so uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, also just kind of turning off. Sometimes when things are too much, we just quit caring. Uh, and it's not that we want to quit caring it's not that it's just that we can't we can't maintain that level of passion to something that is so important to us when it keeps kicking us in the gut we have to at some point say this does cannot mean as much you know um and it's an unconscious thing they all would say you know i care just as much and they do but you just can't feel that all the time so um a lot of times, too, there's disruption in relationships because, I mean, it's the thing we all know, you know, if, if something's going wrong in my life and I can't deal with it directly, I might go off on my husband about something, you know, and, and not realize that it has nothing to do with him. Um, you know, we lash out at the people we know that are going to stick with us you know, that, that are going to love us no matter what. So a lot of times there's a lot of conflict in close relationships, like with parents or with roommates and best friends or significant others, um, because those are the people that we can push around when we're feeling frustrated. It's interesting to, to hear you say this and, and uh, you know, think about 
the kids that we deal with and, and things that have come up. And, and um, I think it's really good to, uh, to hear it and, and look now be able to look for it, right? And, and acknowledge that this is what it's from and, and why it's happening as opposed to, yeah, they just don't care, right? I mean, I think those are really good. Uh, it's really good information to have for, for any coach as they start to deal with their team. Um, I think one, I think one thing too, that I'll say is that, um, you know, kids, especially when they are upperclassmen or whatever, you think about their, the losses that they've experienced, they want to step up, they want to be a leader, they want to help everybody through it, they want to, you know, be the person on the team that everybody's like, man, they, they really helped me through this. And yet they think the way to do that is to act like nothing's wrong. Like, look at her, she smiled all the way through that. And, and really the, the leaders um, can benefit from hearing, uh, your team needs to hear that this is hard for you and that you're doing it anyway, because that's true strength. Okay, Josie, yeah. along those similar lines, not, not quite as, you know, Chris, I'm always the positive one. Chris is always the, you know, depressing one. Uh, talk to us about high achieving athletes. Like I always find it interesting when you look at players that have reached this level, right? The, the high level of division one soccer, the ones we deal with are division one sports. Um, you know, and they're, when you look at them, they're no different than any other, um, you know, 19 or 20 year old <clears throat> person. What separates it? And, and I know this is not an easy question, but and give us a couple things that you think separate high achieving athletes. Well, I, I actually think, it's interesting because there are the high achieving athletes that get to this level. And then there's the high achieving athletes that thrive at this level. So the high achieving athletes that get to this level often get there by um, having standards that are so high, they will not accept less. They push themselves um, in a way that uh, others might not, you know, they're the ones that, um, they truly enjoy um, the getting up at 5 a.m. To, to train, you know, um, and if they don't enjoy getting up at 5 a.m. to train, they enjoy having gotten up to train. Um, they kind of, a lot of times too, they have a lot of anxiety around failure. Um, they, you know, fear that failure, they, they fear um, being less than they, their identity is completely wrapped up in their performance and who they are as an athlete. Those are the ones that get there. The ones that thrive here are able to say, you know, I'm, I have these high standards, but I, they're not expectations. I'm going to stay in the process and push myself every moment. And that's going to be where I um, feel the most accomplished rather than look at what I did. Does that make sense? So sure. um, it's the, the difference between the, the people that are analyzing their game and being so hard on themselves, like, oh, I made that bad pass or this one, you know, um, rather than the ones that in the moment are pushing themselves every second. And then they can look back and say, oh, I made that bad pass. I can get better, you know, and, and it's not as emotional reaction. Um, they have an identity that isn't um, completely based on their performance. Um, and, and often these are the ones that, that get to the next level too. Mm. So, um, and they emerge as leaders and 
they just have a little bit more um, more balance uh, to their approach to things. That's good. I'm interested in uh, in uh, hearing your take on on this idea um, or thought that I've had for a long time. Um, the typical college women's soccer player, in my mind anyway, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, um, for the most part lacks confidence. Um, and it's, you know, really lack of ego. Um, and, and I, and I feel like it's probably the, the, the biggest downfall that, you know, it's, it's the thing that, that hurts players most is they just don't quite have enough confidence when they get the ball, right? The first thought is I want to get rid of it because I don't want to make a mistake. Right. Um, is that something you would, would you agree with that theory? I guess that I have. I would a hundred percent. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot around that. Um, first of all, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but it's hard to grow up as a girl, you yeah. know, as a, yeah. as a female athlete. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, living in that comparison and it's not just about what I'm doing on the field. It's how good do I look doing it? Uh, so when you live in a world of comparison, it's very difficult to have confidence because there's always somebody better or, you know, maybe um, I can't be good because I wasn't good today. So that's really difficult. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, the whole, um, I mean, you get to on these, these, uh, you know, elite travel ball teams by being better. And, um, you know, so that's, you, you have to live in that comparison. Um, and it's really difficult unless you intentionally address it to not adopt that as the way you see yourself. So, you know, the, the other thing is that um, more and more, I've, I've seen this over the, the decade I've been doing this, that um, Matt's heard me say this a lot. Potential is very difficult for a kid to have. So I often joke that I really hope my boys are mediocre at everything because <laughs> when, when a kid shows potential um, and younger and younger, I mean, you're recruiting younger and younger. So when, you know, soccer players start to, to show that potential, that's what they hear about. They don't hear, you know, you're so hardworking. You're so, you hear, man, you have so much potential. You could go here and you could do this. So it stops and everybody, you know, they're, they're, you know, a fifth period math teacher is like, oh, you're going to do so great in the game. Or I heard you had a, an offer for college. Like that's just, it's about who they can become, not who they are. So, and when it is about who they are, it's about how many goals they scored last Friday night or, you know, or, you know, what they did in the game. It's not about who they are as a person. So, um, you know, it, and that is really tough because you start to adopt this feeling that, man, if, if I don't live up to that. And so then, you know, you have the potential to play D one college soccer. Okay, great. Well, now I'm here. Now what you have the potential to be the best on the team. You have the potential to be all American, but if I'm not that, then who am I and why? So that's really, that's really tough. The other thing is, um, 
we don't train our youth to mistake well. We don't train our youth to analyze mistakes rather than react to them. So, you know, it's usually we, we have an emotion. I mean, when I mess up, I have an emotional reaction and yet I'm able to, like, I, I have this uh, thing that I do with athletes. I work on them. Okay. Uh, when they struggle with this, I, I say, okay, you can think or you can feel, but you can't do both at the same time for now. Like, so when you have an emotional reaction to a mistake, stay in the feels, but don't think about it. Just say, oh, I feel disappointed. I'm, I'm angry. I'm, you know, this is how I feel. And then think, okay, here's the mistake I made. Here's how I can get better. And when you start to feel again about it, turn the thinking off and go back to the feels, you know? And so don't mix them up because when you drive your thinking with the emotion, you're not getting much out of it, you know? So we don't teach our kids to do that. We just, you know, some coaches yell at them or, you know, parents, um, you know, are often like, you didn't play bad, you know? And they say it's okay, but they don't say, listen, you did make a mistake. And at the time that wasn't okay. How can we learn from that? How can we get better? Because when we avoid it, we just make it bad. It's like, man, we can't even talk about it. We can't even say that it wasn't okay that I made that mistake. We can't even say how bad that was. We have to run away and avoid it. So there's a lot that takes a hit on confidence that um, just doesn't prepare uh, people to play in college. Really good. Really, really good information. Um, hi, Josie. So let's turn our gears a little bit now more towards the team. <laughs> Okay. Um, and uh, Chris is one of the, the guys that I've told you many times. Again, for those of you listening that uh, don't know, I worked for Chris for four years, and then I spent the better part of 10 years with Josie trying to get over those four years of paying <laughs> Josie being my weekly counselor. Um, no, but in all seriousness, so Chris calls me Captain Chemistry. So you and I- Actually, you call yourself Captain Chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I do not have to, I don't know, maybe Brian called me kind of somewhere anyway, but team chemistry is, is a, in, in my opinion, an important piece to, to team's success. So the question we have for you is how do you define team chemistry? Hmm. That's a, that's a really good one. I, I think that, um, you know, there's different, you and I have talked um, several seasons about like the <laughs> yeah. different types of chemistry. Yes. Yep. And so, you know, in a, in a nutshell, chemistry, how well the, um, the, the team is um, communicating and connecting, because it's not about getting along, you know, I right. mean, I can get along with somebody that I don't particularly like, but, um, or work well with, right. Um, but how well are they connecting, communicating, um, and, uh, you know, just moving towards a common goal. Now, sometimes that common goal is having fun and then you get the social chemistry, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's not true that the, the team that parties together plays together, plays well together. Right. It's, uh, and, and we've, we've seen that, um, happen with different teams. Like, uh, you can have a team that's very well connected off the field, but not on the field. And I think the, the, on the field chemistry that you are talking about that that is so important to success has to do with how well teams can connect um, in meaningful ways to um, be able to uh, 
put their own ego aside for the sake of the teammate, the sake of the whole, you know, um, how, how well am I able to hold my teammates accountable in a positive way when it doesn't feel good to do that? You know, um, how well am I able to offer encouragement to a teammate that just scored an old own goal, for example, you know, all that. So yeah, that's the, the on-field chemistry, being able to look to the whole rather than the, the ego of the self. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the many, many things I've learned from Josie over the years is how detrimental social chemistry can be from a team, right? So they get along great off the field and they're, like you said, able to party together and they, they hang out together and they carry each other. Then they don't, then, then they struggle to hold each other accountable. And we've For seen sure. that. I've seen that with a, a few years ago with a, with a team I had that they just, they got along great. They were really close. They were best friends, blah, 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 blah. Everybody loved everybody. But then no one would hold anybody accountable, which is detrimental, certainly to to the team. So, yeah, very good. And and that's a good that's a good definition, Josie. I might write that down. Actually, that was very good. <laughs> good thing we're recording it. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'm interested. As I read your bio, um, I'm interested in this hypnosis piece um, because my uh, experience with hypnosis is like you know, like at a comedy show where they bring somebody up on stage and they act like a chicken, you know, like <laughs> that's what I know of the hypnosis. So can you give me a little, I, I'm sure it's a, it's a lot more in depth than that. So, Have you seen Matt cluck like a chicken? A more that was me. <laughs> yeah. 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 And let's, yeah. let's be clear here. I, I was, Josie has hypnotized me twice. Did you act like a chicken? Great. I did. I, well, I don't know. I, I don't think I was. I Can you make him act like a chicken? Joseph? That would be fun. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So um, it's interesting. So what you're talking about is stage hypnosis. That's a little bit of a different, um, different beast. So is it real? You know, it's super real, super real. Um, I do not do that, but, uh, but it is very, very real. And, and people that have had that experience will tell you it's real. And, you know, the, the, there's so many common misperceptions about uh, hypnosis and the number one uh, misperception is kind of that Manchurian candidate. You cannot hypnotize somebody to do something that they do not actually want to do. So when somebody gets up there and, you know, sings like Madonna, there's something in them that they just feel liberated to do that. And um, it's, it's typically a very positive experience. So um, but if you think about it, you know, you've experienced a lot of hypnosis. So um, I, I bring up the, um, the example of, you know, that, that time that you were uh, deep in thought about something, got in your car, drove home, and you don't even remember getting there because you sure. were thinking about, you were absorbed in this, um, these other thoughts. That's because your unconscious knew what to do without being told. You don't have to say, oh, you need to turn here. You need to turn there. Um, you were able to absorb yourself in these thoughts so that your unconscious could just do what it needs to do. And our unconscious tends to know the best for us and want the best for us. And we muddle it up with our conscious thoughts. So when you um, kind of relieve the conscious by getting to a very relaxed state, you can kind of... Um, communicate with that conscious and it's all 
something that somebody does to yourself. Like, you know, Matt says I've hypnotized him twice. He has allowed me to help him hypnotize himself twice because it's all self-hypnosis. And, uh, you know, it's just easier when somebody is kind of leading the way so you don't have to think. But um, so being able to uh, get to that place of suggestibility, that's a, a word used a lot. And it's because when you suspend or, or um, a, like uh, relax the conscious mind, you know, I can say to you, you can feel confident with the ball. You can feel uh, very trusting of your own instincts. And that conscious mind isn't there to say, but you made that mistake on Saturday or no, you can't. Or, you know, people are going to think that you're conceited if you do that. Like, it's just shut up conscious mind. <laughs> We're talking to the best part of yourself right now. And so, um, you know, that's kind of where it's at. And it is really helpful. The mind is unbelievably powerful. Um, you know, I, I've done a lot of different things that, um, you know, I, I think about the time that uh, an athlete was really struggling with um, compartment syndrome. Checked it out with uh, the doctor. There was no worry at all that they were going to hurt themselves by, um, you know, playing and, and being aggressive. It was just that the pain was not allowing them to engage in uh, their play. And so the hypnosis allowed them to not experience that pain. So they, they were able to play, um, you know, because the, the mind is unbelievably powerful and our experiences are in the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. So, um, so yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Let me say this, Chris. So again, one of the times she hypnotized me was I wasn't sleeping, right? It was, I don't know, Josie, eight years ago, maybe something like that, yeah. seven, eight years ago. And I, I just wasn't sleeping. It was the middle of the season and I was, you know, up all night and mind racing. And she gave me really tools to how to fall asleep. And it worked. I still, I used it last night. Like it's still eight years later, I'm still using it to fall asleep when I have a lot of stuff on my mind that's racing. I'm able to calm myself down and, and relax a little bit and go through a little bit of a pro progression and I fall asleep. So it, I'm all in on it. I think it works great. And I think if people understand it's not about clucking like a chicken, it's yeah. about getting your mind right. It's, it's fantastic. And certainly I can see where it would be great for athletes. Now, can you, you know, there are times where we, Matt gets angry. We call him angry Matt. Do you think you could hypnotize him and fix angry Matt? Because angry Matt is, is not a lot of fun. Do you think you can take care of that in your next session? <laughs> it depends if angry Matt is what angry Matt needs to be. Matt. Yes. And we'll, we'll Matt, let angry when, Matt be. Yes. When, when angry Matt's dealing with Chris and usually Brian, they've made me angry. So I need to be angry. That's why. For sure. All right, uh, Josie, just just two more quick things real quick. And I know we've taken your time. We really appreciate it. It's been fantastic. Oh, no worries. Not, not surprising. But um, how about this time of year, right? And obviously you're a mental health professional like you talked about. And, you know, there are plenty of us that are happy and it's going to be a great Christmas. We're looking forward to it with the kids. But it's sometimes it's a tough time of year for a lot of people, right? So just talk a little bit about that and, and maybe things we should be looking for if we have friends that are you know, sad and those, those kind of things, I guess, would be my last kind of question. For sure. For sure. Um, so, so much of um, the holidays is um, just littered with what we should be doing and what we should be feeling. 
you know, we should be happy. We should be filled with the spirit. We should have our elf hat on. And when we aren't feeling that way, it's compounded with a, man, why am I not? It's kind of like Charlie Brown is like, he goes to see Lucy <laughs> for a therapy session because he's like, I should be feeling this way, but I just don't. And, um, and that can have with it kind of like a guilt or a shame with it. Like what's wrong with me that I'm not filled with the joy of the season. And also every commercial, every Hallmark movie is about connecting with loved ones. And this year is going to be harder than ever before because um, there's a lot of not connecting that's going to be happening, you know? So um, for many people, the holidays is a time when we are constantly reminded that loved ones are not with us, you know, or we are reminded of how much my mom loved decorating for uh, the holidays and she's not here or, you know, whatever it is. And so um, the feeling of what we should be feeling rather than accepting what we are feeling. When we kind of fight that, it makes it worse. So when we can say part of the spirit of the season is to be reminded that we miss our loved ones and that's okay. There's nothing wrong, bad about that at all. Like I want to know that I left, miss my loved ones because that's how important they were. And it's okay to feel some sadness around that. And it's okay if I look at um, a beautiful tree and I don't feel filled with, you know, Christmas magic. It's okay if I do. And just allowing whatever it is to be, allowing other people to have their experiences. I think also, you know, when we notice somebody that maybe um, they seem a little down or they're not um, as responsive when we're, when we give them a call or, or we're reaching out to them, um, just say, hey, you doing all right? Like the holidays can be hard. Uh, I'm wondering if that's where you are and just ask them about it. Um, that's cool. And then don't try to fix it. Just say, yeah, I, I hear that it's hard because it, it's so, we want to fix it, you know, and, and we want to look at somebody and say, but look how beautiful everything is. And, and but what do you think Santa's going to bring you? Or like, you know, but look at how happy the kids are, you know, just, just leave it. You know, it's okay. All of that can exist. There can be the good things and it's okay if that's not as salient for somebody right now. And this year, again, going to be super tough because we have a lot of people that, um, you know, there are athletes right now on campuses playing basketball that this week they will test positive for COVID and can't go home for Christmas, uh, you know, or there are people that they cannot see their grandparents because that's a vulnerable population. So whatever it is, I think it's going to be tough and just to acknowledge that without trying to fix it. Really good. All right. And then the last thing we want to do is, is have you take a, a minute or so and talk about Helensky Hope that I know you're really involved in, you know, uh, Josie has Dr. Nicholson. I keep going, Josie. I apologize. Dr. Nicholson has a, uh, a great, a great podcast out there united with a three for the E. Um, so maybe explain a little bit about that. And her podcast is great, Chris. I certainly recommend everybody uh, download it, listen to it. Um, I have, and it's, it's wonderful. Um, so, and she's had some 
freaking big time guests. Way better. I mean, we've hit the top here with our guests, but she's by had far. much better guests than us. <laughs> by far, smartest guests we've had by far. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, I must uh, have had a bar, low bar. Yeah, you know, we, we just soccer coaches. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Todd Yelton, the picker we had on, we thought that was good. Like, what are we doing anyway? Um, uh, so, just yeah, talk a little bit about Helinski's hope in, in that, please. Yeah, so I got involved um, a couple of years ago with uh, Holinsky's Hope. Uh, Mark and Kim Holinsky, amazing people, really amazing are. family. Um, you know, Kelly Holinsky is our, their oldest, and Ryan um, Holinsky is, is uh, now quarterback with uh, South Carolina. Their middle son, Tyler, in January of 2018, uh, took his life. He struggled with depression. And so <clears throat> immediately after, Mark and Kim founded Holinsky's Hope with a mission of reducing stigma and increasing um, access to resources for mental health care for athletes. So they go around the country, they talk about, um, you know, reducing stigma and um, how to get help. And, and they're doing some really cool stuff right now, going to college campuses, bringing different programs uh, with Holinsky's Playbook. Um, for reducing stigma and um, having people maintain their, or athletes maintain their mental health. So it's, a, it's an amazing foundation. I love it. You can look it up, www.holinskyshope.org. And uh, one of the things that um, I partnered with them doing at the beginning of COVID that is just, I think now just going to keep on going is we start a podcast that's a mental health resource for athletes, but I think it, the, everything we've done has been widely applicable and it's United, and the E in United is a three. Tyler's number was three. So uh, three is a thing with Holinsky's Hope. And uh, so you can find it on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, and so basically, you know, it started out with just sports psychologists from all around the country. Um, each episode was like one way that you could maintain your mental health at this time. So you know, different tools, but we branched out and had different athletes sharing their story um, and different, uh, you know, coaches and um, administrators, like just different people in sport um, sharing experiences or insights. And, and again, we bounce back to the sports psychologists uh, doing their thing. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a, a great gift for me. And uh, right now uh, we took a break for the month uh, December 15th through January 15th and different um, sports psychologists or therapists are sharing their favorite mindfulness or relaxation meditations. Uh, so if you subscribe right now, those will be the new ones and they're great just for, you know, a 20 minute break during the hustle and bustle of the season. So yeah. And actually the, the one that I recorded right before that break, I guess it was, um, week before last that it released was about holiday blues and uh like that kind of experience that we touched on before so so yeah it's been a lot of fun i think it's great we have had some great guests on and um looking for uh to get some um new ones in the new year and going after some soccer players so <laughs> uh yeah great so thanks awesome yeah well josie Thank you very much. Um, you've been great. Not surprising. I told Chris you would be. Um, you wonder why I go to lunch with her once a week. That's my, uh, I tell people all the time. It's my best hour of the week. Is it's my probably lunch. her worst hour. 
but yeah, yeah it probably is but no i'm getting sushi a, so it's all good yeah <laughs> she doesn't listen to anything i say just i just keep talking she just keeps nodding her head no it, it's fantastic uh but josie thanks for coming on college soccer nation we appreciate really appreciate it, it. Very good, josie thanks for having me i loved it i, no, I want to come back sometime yes we'll do that and again download united with an e or sorry with a three for the e united dr josie nicholson thanks again josie really appreciate it Okay, Matt, we're going to move on here um, after that fantastic interview with, with Josie. She was um, very, very uh, insightful and, and, and uh, entertaining as well, you know, yeah. but, uh, but let's move on our next, uh, our next segment. Yeah. Hey, let me just about- say this real quick about Josie. You can see, as I've said to you many times, it's the best week, best hour of my week. And she's sure. just so easy to talk to and, and uh, does such a good job here at Ole Miss. We're really fortunate to have her, but yeah, yeah let's move it on. Um, okay, we, we always talk about what we're looking forward to in the next week. So for you uh, and for both of us, right, we've, we've got Christmas coming up. So tell me about uh, Christmas at the uh, Mott House. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, Dean has his own uh, apartment, so he'll be back uh, for the, the night or so with us. So that'll be fun. And we do our we do our normal. I mean, we're pretty normal. The one, you know, Jen's very traditionalist. She likes the different traditions. <laughs> so we will... We will um, uh, have open presents in the morning, then she'll make a big breakfast, and um, yeah, we'll go about our day. But then on the 26th, we're heading down to the beach, heading down to Orange Beach. Uh, Jen's dad and, and um, stepmom are down there, and so we'll spend a week down there. That'll be a lot of fun. Great. Great. Yeah, what about you guys? Well, ours is different than it's ever been. Um, we are packing up, and we're heading down to see our daughter, Gabby, in, in New Orleans. Um, our son, Nick, is coming in with his girlfriend. Um, unfortunately, nice. Andrew Andrew's not going to be able to make it. He's going to stay out in Arizona. Uh, but I've, I think Derek will take care of him, so, so he should be okay. <laughs> He'll be just uh, fine. <laughs> but, um, you know, ours is typically, and, and we'll do everything down there that, that we would do up here. We have a you know, it's a, it's a basically an Italian Christmas, right? So you've got seven, the seven fishes on, on, uh, Friday on, I'm sorry, uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, I don't think we quite get to seven, but my mom always got to seven, right? So that'll be Christmas Eve and we'll include the, you know, the pasta and, and, and things like that. And then we'll, we typically open some presents on, on Christmas Eve and, and then, uh, some the next day, I think, We'll, we'll open them all probably Christmas Eve. So because we're, you know, we're staying with, with Gabby and our boyfriend, Zach, who uh, I don't know that we've talked about Zach much, but, you know, Zach plays for the Saints. They play on Christmas Day. So we'll go to the Saints, the Saints game on Christmas Day. And then we'll have our Christmas dinner actually after the game. So it'll be late that evening. And I think he's got maybe some friends coming over, some teammates and things like that. So it's a, it's a different one for us, but I think we're really looking forward to going, going down there and spending some time with everybody. Yeah. I did. Let's talk about this. First of all, as long as Eve's cooking, you'll be all set. She That's will right. have a great dinner. There's no doubt, but we are, how about this? I didn't tell you this. So um, on, I think tomorrow night, uh, pizza Dennis got me an 18 pound brisket, 18 <laughs> pounds, Chris. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna cook it and then I'm gonna split kind of give give him half of it or whatever. But it's, it's, ma- it's massive. It's massive. But I'm looking yeah. forward to cooking it. Oh, and then we're doing prime good. prime rib on Christmas. We always do. So I like that for sure. Uh, Jen's lasagna on Christmas Eve. So the food is taken care of. I didn't mention that, but it'll be great. 
All right. Are we prepared for this? I'm nervous. I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, our power five this week, we got to bring in two guests, power five pickers or power five lists, I guess. So let's welcome to the show, Eve Petroselli. Eve, how are you? I'm great, Matt. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us. And Jen Ma, Jen, are you there? I'm here. Okay. Well, we've uh, we've asked the listeners. I feel like have asked this more than anything, but they uh, they want us to they want you to give the five things that annoy you about your husbands. So this should be this should be just a just a ton of fun. I can't wait. So, <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. Be gentle, so, please. Be gentle. Yes. Remember, this is a family show. This is a family show, so we have to keep it keep it clean. Uh, all right. So, are we ready? You, any any early words you want, Eve? Or are you ready to get right to it? Yeah. Just narrowing it down to five was um, <laughs> quite uh, feat. Yes. Yes, I agree. I agree. Proud of you guys. Yes. Good job. We're able to get to five. All right. So here we go. Number next week. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. We continue. All right. So here we go. Eve, your number five for Chris is my number five is um, he puts a toilet paper on backwards. Wait. Exactly. There's, a, there's a way to put it on backwards. It's upside down. It doesn't roll <laughs> upside down. It rolls from the top. You've been in so many hotel rooms, and think about it. When they, when you pull the toilet paper, it's in that nice little point, and mm-hmm. it's from the top. Yeah. Right? First of all, ours is in a nice little point. Okay. Well, because I can't, I have to pull it from the bottom. A second. <laughs> Amanda, is this a thing, really? Did you know that there was a, a, a forward and a backward? <laughs> I, do, I think I do, but I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think it's a great one. So I have <sighs> turned it around before, and mm-hmm. he'll switch it back. Oh, I don't switch it back. I don't no, switch it back. I can see him switching it back. All right. I don't, I don't, Eve, Eve, my whole least, life, is it on, the, is it on the roll? Is it, it on the roll? Okay, at least it's not sitting on top. I don't know what you're talking about, Jennifer. All right, Jen, you're halfway. Halfway, yeah, I haven't gotten there yet. All right, Jen, you're number five. Okay, so again, it was hard to narrow it down, but I figure these are the five things that I complain about to you and annoy me. Anyway, top five. So number five is, you know, he likes to grill out in the kitchen, we have a kitchen outside and he likes to grill a lot. Well, he leaves his dirty spatulas and all that stuff outside for three or four days, <laughs> then brings them in to try to clean them with my nice, you know, inside scrubber. And he has ruined so many scrubbers of mine because he's left them for days and days and days. Instead they of cleaning up clean, afterwards, <laughs> I know, but you should clean them up right after you use them. Not I five didn't realize you were a scrubber ruiner. <laughs> Hey, ruin scrubbers. Yes, Darren, go ahead. I forgot to mention that this episode is sponsored by Dewey Cheatham and Howe, divorce, law, divorce attorneys at divorce attorneys <laughs> <in> law. <laughs> yeah, nice. Anyway, it aggravates me to no end. But it gets yeah, caked on and dried on by that point. Yes. yes. I can see that, Jen. I can see it. I can see it. Whatever, Chris. Well, he's used Whatever. my scrubber on his grill to clean the actual grill grates, too, yeah. which is not what it's supposed to be used for. Oh, uh, you can and see what's going to be in her stocking. She's going to get a new scrubber in her stocking. <laughs> All right, Eve, number four. Number four. Okay, number four. When he has his cocktails at night, he can't eat dinner until he finishes his cocktail or two. 
seriously. So I used to wait to cook, you uh-huh. know, until I knew he's almost ready. And then I'm like, no, it's like nine o'clock at night and I'm starving. I don't know why he can't drink his vodka at the same time he eats a meal. He drinks his wine with a meal, but he can't, he can't do that with his vodka. So um, I got tired of waiting until eight. So I make it and if he, he eats it cold. Well, first of all, wine goes with meals. There's different kinds of wine goes with different kinds of food, right? But if you have a cocktail, it's it just doesn't really go with food. So you have mine to goes it. with mine. Uh, can't you? Can't <laughs> uh, shouldn't you time it, Chris? Shouldn't you know that dinner's coming at eight, and then you? That seems simple to fix, Chris. I can't believe you do that. Right? Or drink shocking. one after. Yes, we drink when, one after. You know Wait till that? after. If he wants to eat cold food, let him eat cold yeah, food. Yeah, let him eat cold food. Very They're great. not complaining about it, though. I agree. Yeah, it's good. I'm All right, Jen. I'm taking it. Go ahead. Jen, you're number four. <laughs> My number four is... He has to talk on the phone, on speakerphone, all the time. <laughs> because it's easier than holding his arm bent and his phone up to his ear. <laughs> so you've seen that Geico commercial where they're going through, like, don't be like your parent. And the yeah. person's in the... That's Matt, talking on the speakerphone, no matter what. Because it's easier uh, to hold it in front of him than have to hold it at his ear. <laughs> it annoys me. It so annoys me. Well, the problem is I talk so much on the phone. My job is so on the phone, on the mm-hmm. phone. Get, my arm gets tired. Because Chris and Brian are your, yeah. you know, your job. Yeah. Like and Todd. Don't forget Todd. And Don't Todd, Todd, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. That's a good one. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, that That's one. probably annoying. Too. All right, Eve, number three. All right. He doesn't rinse off his toothbrush. After he brushes his teeth. I do. It's not rinsed on, so all the toothpaste is rips down it. And then in the drawer. Okay, she's exaggerating. <laughs> I'm going to go take a picture. I just oh, rinsed it off myself, and I had to scrape off all the dried-on toothpaste. Uh. And he puts it, he used to just put it in the drawer, but I have a bin for it now. And then the bin gets all white with dried toothpaste that I have to clean oh, up. Oh, yeah. It's like three seconds, Chris. Three seconds. Uh, I'm sorry. Seconds. I don't know if you got he's exaggerating, but. Because That's it's fine. All, it's running, I just picture it running down his arm. Yeah. Very down. descriptive. I will say this. She's very descriptive. It's impressive. <laughs> all right, Jenma. Okay, so my number three is the annoyingly huge amount of pillows you need to sleep with at night. <laughs> he sleeps with six. Wait, oh, six. There's like two maybe three under his head and then he's got to have one that's like under his arm and then there's like two more next to him (laughs) we have a king size bed and i have like maybe a quarter of it so god forbid i move my pillow over an inch because then i'm getting too close to his spot and this has been going on for a while now i I sleep in different six pillows six pillows matt come on most guys guys complain about all the pillows on the bed no, no, bring up, bring yes. up, bring in more of the merrier, more merrier. Oh. All right, that's number three. All right, we're number two. Eve, number two. All right, you know that uh, the the cocktails I was talking about, the vodka. Well, uh-huh. he leaves it on his oh, table no, he doesn't. beside his chair, along with his shoes at the foot of it, uh, every <laughs> single night, mm. every night. Come on, Chris. How many steps is it to the to the sink? Too many. <clears throat> I got a feeling that. Mommy should not be talking about that. 
or closer than the kitchen. I have a feeling that this one may be common between the two of them. Well, yeah, mine's just a Diet Coke can, but yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that, Eve. I can see that being annoying with the shoes. Absolutely. I can see it. All right, Jen, number two for you. Okay, so my last two are the most annoying because they've been going on for years and years and years and you haven't changed at all. And they're not that big of a deal to some people. But number two is when he's sitting down or laying in bed, he has the remote or his phone sitting on his stomach all (laughs) the time. And I cannot stand it. But I figure, you know, then he just, then when you call him, though, I guess it's easier for him to have you on speakerphone, right? Right there on his belly. You know what's funny? (laughs) A couple of times. Yeah. There's been a couple of times, many times when I call him and he's in a hotel. And the first thing I say to him is, you got the clicker on your chest? <laughs> because he's sitting there, yeah. laying there. With All the time. Yeah. Very this comfortable. This has been going on. This is years and years and yeah, years. Very comfortable. <laughs> hey, they don't lose it. Anywhere else? I, I, can't, I can't defend it. I can't defend it. I do do that. All right. Here we go. The exciting one. Eve, number one, biggest thing that Chris annoys you. He doesn't signal his intention when he's changing lanes or turning in the car. He scares mm, the wow. Jesus out of me. Ah. Driving in general, he they scares see me. me to death. They see me coming. Oh my God, Chris. Why did you do it? this directional signal. I've ridden with you plenty of times. Many, many Crazy. times. You've yeah. never seen me cut anybody off fast. or anything? No, but I know you've got a lot of tickets. In the lane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, that's I, a good one. I mean, that, you know, here's the thing. Like, I, I just got to say this in, in defense of myself. I, I've said this to Eve before. When I drive, she drives. But she, <laughs> every turn, she's like, <laughs> you know, stop, oh, slow down, uh, you know, all of this. So I got the brake on my side, too. <laughs> I got that imaginary break on my yeah, side. Yeah, I have that. I have that similar problem though, Chris. Actually, I get a lot of you should park there. You should park there. Why are you yeah. going over there? Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I can see it. All right, Jen, no finish this up. That's a good okay, one. So, I like. So again, my number one has been going on pretty much. I think since we've been together, and that's why it annoys me so much. He when he takes his socks off, he is standing up and he rubs his foot on the carpet so the sock slides off his foot so he does not have to bend over to get the sock off his foot. And then he leaves him there every night. Slide, slide, and there you go. And you I'm can like, sit down and take your sock off, can't you? No, I'm in a rush. No, I like to flick it with my foot and try to get it into the uh <laughs> trying to get it into the hamper. It's like a little game I play, but it drives you crazy. Oh. And, uh, mm, yes. yes. For you Years uh, and years and years. All right. Well, real quick, because this is our Christmas special. Eve, anything you want to add on the Christmas? Uh, <clears throat> you guys like to do your traditions? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's fun. I'm looking forward to this year. Um, I've got all the. I got a big box of stuff to stuff stockings with. I don't know who's listening. Um, <laughs> not to take it with me, but. Uh, we're looking forward to it. We're going to have three dogs in that house. Wow. And that should be interesting. New Orleans is so fun, though. New Orleans is a great city. Oh, and so much gosh, fun. It's, it's so a great fun place. We've had so much fun there. Yeah, it's a good time. All right, Jennifer, anything for you for Christmas? 
No, you forgot though. My one tradition that the kids roll their eyes at is every morning when, you know, Christmas morning, I make them all wait at the top of the stairs still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so still. I turn the Christmas tree uh, lights on. Awesome. 19, yeah. 16 and 14. Yeah. That's still awesome. Yeah, come down to the, to the lights on the tree are on. That's yeah, awesome. Right. All right, ladies. Well, thank you very thank much. You. you were very, oh, it's very entertaining. Yes. <laughs> very entertaining. Thank week. you. Yes. Yes. Five more. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, All right. let's move it on. See you guys. See ya. All right, Matt. We survived it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Toothpaste one was cracking me up. She got so descriptive. I mean, she yeah, went. Yeah, I can picture you. It's very, very descriptive. Very good. Yeah. All right, so it's cliche time, yeah? Cliche. Time this for your one. cliche. Yeah, let's wrap this baby up. So uh, my cliche for the week is, the game was closer than the final score. The it's game just, was closer than the final score. The final score is the final score. That's yeah, what the game like was, you, right? It's like you say all the time, you are who you are. You are who your record says you are. You know, That's the right. game was what the game says it was. That's right, yes. Very cliche. That usually is the losing coach who says that. That's correct. Right, Absolutely. the winning coach doesn't ever say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. All right, let's take it out, huh? Good Christmas special. I yes. thought uh, Josie was great. Brian was good again. I mean, maybe we'll never ask him about Liverpool again. Um, yeah. And uh, and obviously the wives did a great job. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, that was fun. So, okay, uh, please download us, uh, College Soccer Nation. Uh, give us five-star review. Uh, I want to thank Darren Mott for sitting in the long one today um, and DJM Productions. Download his uh, his his. Podcast getting real popular, Cyber Guys, C-Y-B-U-R. Download that, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you can download them. Um, Chris, have a great Christmas. Have fun in New Orleans. Merry Christmas, uh, everyone. Yeah, we'll talk to you next Monday. Again, thanks, everybody. If you have questions for Coach Petroselli or Coach Mott, you can reach them at cpetroselli at mail.smu.edu or mmott at olemiss.edu. College Soccer Nation is presented by DJM Productions and available on all your fine podcast outlets. Download it, give a review, tell a friend.